Turn with me this morning in your Bible to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And we're going to read the first 12 verses of the chapter. Luke 24. Follow with me in the reading. Luke 24. We're at verse 1. Luke chapter 24 verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, there came unto the sepulchre, bringing spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, Two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And returned from the sepulchre. And told all these things unto the leaven. And to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene. And Joanna. And Mary the mother of James. And other women that were with them. Which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulchre. And stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes by the, laid by themselves, and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. Amen. We know God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from Luke chapter 24, uh, verses 6 to 8. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And they crucified, and the third day rise again, and they remembered his words. Now my subject today is to ponder the subject and the solace of the resurrection. Now here we are, another Easter Sunday. What are we doing? Well, we're celebrating the grand glorious truth of our Lord and Saviour, resurrected from the dead. Remember that in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4 defines for us what the gospel is. 
and at its heart and core. The keynote message is this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried, remember buried in the tomb that was borrowed, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. And that on the third day he rose again from the dead according to the scriptures. That's the heart and core of the gospel message. Listen to the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Again, writing to Timothy, he said in 2 Timothy 1 and 10, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now that, of course, I believe, is the constant message of the apostles. There is one uniform message of the Bible. And at its heart is this. Christ who was crucified is risen from the dead. Not metaphorically. Not allegorically. Not even spiritually. But literally bodily, physically, tangibly, actually risen from the dead. And that was the message that was first given by the angels to the woman at the tomb. He is not here, but is risen. Now, if you were to compare the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and study each of these accounts, thinking of four independent gospel witnesses, you would get exactly four independent accounts of this keynote message. He is not here, but is risen. And in those four different accounts, of course, you would get some details that are different between them. And of course, that's what you would expect from four independent witnesses. Let me illustrate. Imagine being in a court of law and you've got two witnesses there making statements about an event that they have seen. They've got the exact same thought and the exact same words. The words are identical and they've got the same explanation to the facts. Well, 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 any barrister would say those two witnesses are in collusion. There's a form of collusion between them. One witness is basing his witness on the other witness. They're not truly independent witnesses. There's a copy going on. Or there's a plan to pervert the course of justice. You see, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, let me say this to the young people, young people, they didn't copy each other. They were independent witnesses of each other. And that's why some details are slightly different. And yet, even though they were independent, there's no contradictions in their story. Because in their story is one great unifying theme. And the theme is this, that on the third day after his crucifixion, the tomb is empty. And the angels announce, he is not here, he is risen. The disciples, of course, remember, were reluctant 
to believe this message. They had to be persuaded to believe the message. The doctrine of Christ's resurrection is of the utmost importance. I believe it's second importance to the great message of Christ's crucifixion. These doctrines are, of course, totally connected to each other. One is the result of the other. Where you've got Christ crucified, the other connecting message is Christ resurrected. And this is not just a ritual that we have on Easter Sunday morning. This is a reality. But more than that, these are radical truths that we ought to take to heart. So we're thinking today of the subject and the solace of the resurrection. And there's three things I want to try and show you this morning. I want you to think, first of all, of the point of the resurrection. Look at verse 6. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again, and they remembered his words. I want you to think of the word he. He is not here. You see, what is so important about the resurrection? Why is it so significant to the Christian church? Why is it so vital to the testimony of an individual Christian believer? What's the big deal about the resurrection? See, let me explain something this morning, or try to. The resurrection witnesses to the person of Christ. The resurrection really proves who Jesus Christ is. Turn over there to um, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Let me read verse 3 and 4. Romans 1, verse 3 and 4. Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. See, Jesus Christ, are told here, is declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Now what this verse is telling us here. That Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He's not just a good man, young people. He's not just a great man. A great prophet like Moses or Elijah. He wasn't just the founder of a great religion like, like Muhammad. Muhammad, remember, who founded Islam is dead and remains dead. He never was bodily resurrected from the dead. Jesus Christ is not just a gracious man. Jesus Christ is the God man. Now, of course, there are prophecies who test, which testify to who Christ is. 
His preaching testifies to who he is. His practices on earth, think of his many miracles. But the ultimate proof that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is here. The resurrection on the third day from the dead. The word declared means demonstrated to be. Marked out, proven to be the Son of God with power. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead witnesses to who Jesus Christ is. You see, today we're told even by certain scientists and by certain medical professionals that it's good to have faith in some sort of a God. And as long as you're sincere, your faith, whatever it is, will have positive benefit. And we hear today people saying, and they say a lot to me, well, I've got my faith, Reverend. Well, what does that mean? I have got my faith. Faith in what? Faith in whom? I have to ask people, well, well, who's the object of your faith? And what's the content of your faith? Is it faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, not only crucified on Calvary Street, but risen from the dead? You see, the point of the resurrection is that it witnesses to the person of Christ. He's demonstrated by the resurrection to be whom he claimed to be, the Son of God. Notice also, it witnesses to the power of Christ. If we keep with the same verse and declared to be the Son of God, with power. And the word power there in the Greek means authority. The Greek word is a exousia. And when you think of power, you think of doing something. And what did Jesus Christ do? Well, remember what we read in Hebrews 10 and 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. Jesus Christ died in the tree. Jesus Christ bore our sins in his own body in the tree. Jesus Christ was made to be sin for us who knew no sin. We might be made the righteousness of God in him. According to Romans 5, Christ died for the ungodly. That is, he literally shed his blood. He had purchased eternal redemption for us. He reconciled us to God by his power. He can make us right with God. He rendered a complete satisfactory atonement for sin. He satisfied the wrath of God in the tree. He fulfilled the law of God perfectly in its precepts and fulfilled its penalty. In other words, he paid the price for our sin. Turn over there to Romans chapter 4 and look with me at verse 25. It says, Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Now, what does that mean? He was delivered, that is, unto death, the death of the cross. Why? For our offenses, that's our sins. And was raised again for our justification. The word for means on account of, or because of. See, how do we know that the price has been paid in full? How do we know that that price has been accepted? 
How do we know that wrath of God has been satisfied? See, I believe today that Calvary, celebrated in Good Friday, is the greatest success story in the whole of the world. Jesus Christ didn't die in vain, folks. His death was not a failure. Good Friday was not an accident. There are those who distort the truth. There are those who make a pretense that Christ failed in the work that God the Father gave him to do. Let me make it clear. The Lord Jesus didn't come into this world to set up a kingdom in Jerusalem and become the king of the Jews and failed in that enterprise. And then the secondary plan was ushered in that he would go to the cross and save a few hundred thousand Gentiles before reverting back to the original plan. No, we sing in the hymn, he died an atoning death for thee. And how do we know that that atoning death was acceptable to God? He rose again from the dead. The doctrine of the resurrection. See, we could speak of the victory of Christ's cross. Victory over his enemies. We we thought about a couple of weeks ago. Sin. His victory over the strength of the law. His victory over the sting of death. His victory over the sentence of the grave. His victory over Satan himself. Now we'll have to tell you this morning, it's not true to say that Christ died an atoning death. But we are justified because of his resurrection. We are not justified on the ground of his resurrection. We are justified, legally declared righteous, that's what the word means, by the shedding of his blood. But the resurrection came about because he succeeded in accomplishing the work of eternal redemption. The tomb is empty because that work was satisfactorily acceptable to God the Father. This is my beloved Son, he said, in whom I am well pleased. You see, if Jesus Christ had remained in the tomb, nobody would have any hope. Nobody would have any hope for now or the world to come. There'd be no assurance that anyone is going to heaven. We would be still in our sins. We'd still be under the wrath and judgment of God. Why? Because the penalty would not have been paid in full. The penalty would not have been accepted. Let me try and illustrate that if I can. I wonder if you ever heard of the Dreyfus Affair. There was a Jewish captain in the French army called Captain Dreyfus. And in 1894, he was accused of treason by the French army. He was accused of selling secrets to the Germans. And he was found guilty. And before his regiment, he was declared guilty. The ceremonial sword was broken. He was degraded. He was demoted. And he was sent to prison. He was actually sent to Devil's Island. That's in French Guinea, somewhere in Africa. And he spent two years in prison. Well, in fact, he spent maybe six in total. But in 1896, two years later, new evidence emerged 
that this man, Captain Dreyfus, had been falsely accused. There had been a French army major, uh, Ferdinand Walson, Esther Hizzy, if I pronounced it right, probably haven't, but he was the real culprit. So there was a second trial. But in the second trial, there was a big cover-up at the highest level. And there was the suppression of evidence. And believe it or not, Captain Dreyfus was found guilty again. And there was an upcry and a big uproar in France. And this man, even though he was found guilty, was told, well, we're going to give you a presidential pardon. And this is what he said, and I quote, What good is a pardon to me? If I am still guilty. And then they had a third trial. This is true. And then he was found and declared not guilty. Dreyfus was exonerated. He was reinstated. He got the salute of his regiment back. He got a new sword. He was promoted to, I think it was lieutenant colonel or, or a major. And he served in World War I. An innocent man. Given a pardon but still guilty. And he said, I don't want it. It's on my record. I didn't do the crime. Here's the Lord Jesus. And on our behalf, he has paid the price in full. The record, the slate has been wiped clean. And he says to everyone who trusts in him as Lord and Savior, what I did will be put to your account. And there'll not be one sin that will condemn you or pronounce you guilty when you stand before God. You'll be cleared of any sin in the account and record of heaven. And the proof is Christ's resurrection from the dead. Is it any wonder Paul asked, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Now that's the point of the resurrection. The witness to the person of Christ and the power of Christ. Notice, secondly, here, if you go back to um, Luke's Gospel, I want you to think of the proof of the resurrection. You see, it says, He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Now you'll notice in the reading the word sepulchre. That has to do with tomb. And there's, there's many theories, you see, about the resurrection. And one of the theories about the resurrection, young people, I'm not going to do all of them, but here's one of them. The stolen body theory. Now I want you to think of the tomb for a moment. The tomb was guarded by 60 soldiers. Pilate gave the Jews a watch. A company of soldiers, 60 in total. Albert Barnes in his commentary suggests at least 60. So I want you to think of the, the tomb guarded by 60 soldiers. This is after they put the body in the tomb. The tomb is sealed. It's got a big stone in front of it. Now I want you to think of a great big wheel of stone. It weighs about two and a half ton. It runs along a channel in the ground. It's wedged in place and it covers the mouth of the tomb. And it's got the insignia of Imperial Rome stamped on it. So don't open this seal or break it. 
on peril of your life. And yet, that guarded tomb that was sealed with a big stone and had the insignia of Rome upon it, that tomb was opened. Look at verse 2 of Luke 24. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. Doesn't this tie into Matthew's account? He says in Matthew 28 and 6, He is not here, but he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. You see, the body wasn't there. It was empty. The body could not be found. And these soldiers, of course, reported to Herod. They reported to the elders. And they were given money by the chief priests and the elders to say they had fallen asleep. And the disciples came and stole the body. And it says, if this comes to the governor's ears, we will speak in your behalf. Now you'll find this information in uh, Mark chapter, sorry, Matthew chapter 28 and in the verse um, 13, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. If this come to the governor's ears, we'll persuade him. And secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Now I want you to think of this. Here's this theory. The stolen body theory. Is it true? Think. 60 soldiers asleep in duty at one time. That's an offence punishable by death. How come none of them awake? Sixty soldiers in a deep sleep, not disturbed by other people. Think of the noise of moving the big stone, two and a half ton. Push, pull. Talking. Taking a body out of the tomb. The time involved. We have to ask, where did the disciples get the courage from? Remember at the cross, they all ran away. They lacked courage. They, 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 they departed. From Christ. Also think of this. The stolen body theory. If they were going to steal the body. Thieves of course are in and out. Very quickly. They don't come into your house to wash dishes. Or to hoover. Or fold clothes. They're in and out as fast as they can. But the linen cloths were left behind when they took the body. And they were folded. They were left in a place by themselves. These disciples were not in much of a hurry. And you see, if you believe the disciples stole the body, the facts don't really add up. Sixty soldiers asleep on duty. None of them awoke. A noisy escapade of taking a body out and all the ramifications of the clothes. And add into that the reluctance on the part of the disciples to believe. Look, look with me at chapter 24 and verse 11 just for a moment. Luke 24 and verse 11. Think of these words. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Let me explain something. In ancient times, folks, the testimony for the woman was not really received. Peter, James and John would have just thought, these are silly women. They've got a fright. 
You know, it was dark. The morning was just beginning to break. Two men came out of nowhere and they were teasing these women. And the women have lost their nerve. And they've come up with this story that he has risen. Idle tales. That's what they felt. And then add into that there, of course, doubting Thomas. Wasn't he slow to believe? He wasn't there in the first resurrection evening. He was there the next Sunday evening, eight days later. And when the Lord Jesus challenged him, thrust forth thy finger and put thy finger into the nail prints of the hands and thrust thy hand into my side, he just fell at his feet and said, my Lord and my God. Here's another thing. How come the 11 disciples never broke rank? How come none of them ever wrote a book to explain what really happened and got money from the writing of the book? They maintained their story right to the end of their days. Remember they were beaten, they were imprisoned, they were tortured, they faced martyrdom. But right to the end they bore testimony. He is not here, he is Risen. They proclaimed the doctrine of the resurrection. The day of Pentecost, Acts 2. That was the thrust of Peter's sermon. The tomb was opened. The tomb was empty. There's a simple explanation. He is alive. Have you ever heard of Harry Houdini? In New Year's Day in 1906, he escaped from the 10th precinct jail. The jail or the keeper of the, the, the jail was a, a policeman called Richard Sylvester. And he boasted that he had the strongest and the toughest jail in Washington. Nobody could ever break out of it. Houdini broke out in 20 minutes. And you know, he was sitting in his office, smiling, looking at the watch. 20 minutes was gone. And Houdini was nowhere to be seen. And at the dot of the 20 minutes, when the second went up, the phone rang. And Richard Sylvester Answered it. And you know who it was on the phone? Houdini. He was two blocks away from the prison. And no one's seen him leave. And no one knows to this day how he got out through five sets of gates that were locked. Houdini told his wife that if he ever escaped from death, they had a sign and a message that she would know that it was him. And she waited and waited after his death until the day of her death. But that sign never came. Because even though Harry Houdini could escape from jails and out of impossible situations, he couldn't escape death. But when Christ died, three days later, the tomb is empty and the message is, he is not here. He has risen. That's the simple explanation. He's alive. The proof of the resurrection. Every theory of man. And here's just one of them. The stolen body theory. Can be blown out of the water. Notice one final thing. The prophet. Of the resurrection. Let, let's ask ourselves this as we finish today. What relevance has the doctrine of the resurrection for us. Individually. And collectively. In the 21st century. Is it any prophet? Or, or is it just a truth that's there, out there in the ether? But we'll accept it's a real truth. But is it any relevance to us? I believe it has. You see, the doctrine of the resurrection, there's a solace and a comfort attached to it. 
Let me just leave this thought with you. You see, in the resurrection, Christ conquered death. One day we're all going to die. That's not a very pleasant thought. Sure it's not. But one day we'll leave this world and one day we'll stand before God. And Let's remember that Ecclesiastes tells us very, very clearly that no man has power over his spirit. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 8. There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Neither hath he any power in the day of his death. And there is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. No man has power over his spirit to retain it. No man has power to stay alive forever. No man is able to discharge the warfare of death against him. There's only all night come of that war. And it's appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. But here's the message. Thank God the gospel tells us that there's one for whom this was not true. One stood among men and said, I'm the resurrection and the life. I have power to lay down my life. I have power to take it again. The Bible calls death an enemy. And there women were asked, why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not found among the dead. Why? Because he is risen. And in rising he conquered death. And death has lost its sting. He has raped, um, robbed the grave of its victory. Remember Job said, Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble as the sparks fly upward. Many of God's dear people have experienced, even in recent days, deep pain. They've known trouble. They've had bodily pain. They've had mental anguish. They've had a broken heart. They've had deep disappointment. And maybe they've even felt in that time, God has forsaken me. God has forgotten to be gracious. Oh, I want to tell you, Christ's resurrection guarantees us solace, guarantees us help. Remember what Paul writes there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us also by Jesus and shall present us with you for all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many rebound to the glory of God for which cause we faint not but though our outward man perish Yet our inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction is but for a moment working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. His resurrection abolished death. He destroyed him that had the power of death. He can support us in death. He's with us. And he can make death sweet for eternity, for it's absent from the body and present with the Lord. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. He has conquered death. And one final thing, he has cleared the debt. You know, when you put your trust in Christ, the life of Christ is put to your account. The righteousness of Christ is put to your account. A, a redeemer who kept the law of God perfectly is put to your account. Is it any wonder the hymn writer said, the old account is settled long ago? See, in Christ you don't have any debt to pay. 
it's paid in full. And God will not demand payment twice. Once at my bleeding surety's hand and then at mine. Imagine you owed money to the bank. Say you owed the bank £10,000. And that money was paid by another individual on your behalf. And you got a receipt to prove that it was paid in full. And imagine a month later getting a letter from the bank to say, we demand payment for our money. And if not, we're going to take you to court. And they're threatening all sort of legal action. What would you do? You'd go down your receipt. And you'd, you'd ask to meet the bank manager. And you would say, could we have an explanation, please? Because the debt is paid in full. And you'd have every confidence in producing the receipt. See, Christ has cleared the debt for his people. The old account of sin that was against us, it has been cleared and covered with the blood of Christ. And we can have confidence. There's another prophet, and it all ties in to the doctrine of his resurrection. He's appearing in glory now for us. There's many other aspects to the prophet of the resurrection. But we'll maybe leave that to another time. It's really a subject in itself. I want you to grasp today the point of the resurrection. Why is it so important? Because it witnesses to his person and his power. Is there any proof that it took place? Yes, when you examine all the evidence, there's proof. Even all the theories of men, they all can be discounted because you've got the scripture message. Remember his words. He is risen. Three words. Take it to heart today. Take it home with you. Take it through the rest of the week. He is risen. And remember the prophet. In Christ you have a saviour who's conquered death. And all your pain and worry and woes and troubles. He can give you solace and comfort and strength. Because he has cleared the debt. The old account is settled. Long ago. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to your heart this morning.